Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that prayer this morning. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 and verses 36 through 40. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 40. So we're going to look at the very passage that follows the one we looked at last week. Last week we looked at Simeon. This week we look at Anna. But before we get into the passage this morning, kind of go along with what uh, Pastor Chad prayed, talked about this morning in our, as he was doing the announcements and introduction. Um, last week I shared with you that Christmas is a beautiful time and we should enjoy the beauty and the sacredness. Let's not get caught up in just criticizing the commercialism of Christmas. We don't have to be part of that. We can see the true beauty and sacredness. But I want to add this morning um, that Christmas, as wonderful as it is, can be a time of hurt and pain for some people. Every year, every year when we come to this season, we have some people who have lost loved ones, some people who are going through severe trials, some people who might be going through illnesses at this time, and while they are celebrating at the same time, Christmas tends to magnify their pain. And I just want to remind us, and it's good just to remind each other, that Christ came to bring great hope into the world. He came to bring hope to the hurting, even as we sang in our song this morning. And that's just good for us to remember. He came to bring us not only hope in this world, but hope in the world to come. And so no matter what you may be going through this morning, whether you're here with us uh, in the auditorium or you're watching by live stream, it's very possible that some of you are hurting this morning and we just want to, you to know that there is great hope. And this passage today is about great hope. So in Luke chapter two in verses 36 through 40, we read, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, excuse me, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Well, our first point this morning is a woman named Anna. Right after Simeon approaches Mary and Joseph and their newborn son, we are introduced to a woman named Anna. And I want you to get a feel for this scene as it unfolds. Last week, we saw Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus just eight days old, circumcised. They bring or they come to the temple for the rite of purification and to dedicate Jesus as their firstborn male. 
And while they are there, this man named Simeon comes up to them. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he takes Jesus into his arms and he praises God and says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then Simeon speaks directly to Mary. And then right after that, right after that, Anna comes up. So that's the scene that we're looking at. While Mary and Joseph are there, no, I don't know if they're now again holding their newborn or if Simeon is holding him still, but up comes Anna. And we read in verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna. Interesting, a prophetess. A woman prophet. We see this about five or six times in the Old and New Testaments. We think of Acts chapter 21 and verse 9, where the Apostle Paul comes to stay at the home of Philip the Evangelist, and it says that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And so there were, were women at various times in the unfolding of biblical history who had special insights into the word of God and people came to them to seek advice. Now, we don't see any examples of them having widespread ministries like a Jeremiah or a Isaiah or a Ezekiel, but nonetheless, they are called prophetesses. They prophesied, they spoke forth the word of God and probably in some instances foretold the future and Anna is one of them. Now, the name Anna in the New Testament is actually just the equivalent of the Old Testament name Hannah. In fact, we think of the prophet Samuel. Samuel's mother was Hannah. If Hannah had been in the New Testament, she would have been Anna. So this prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, now, a number of years ago, actually it's been quite a few years ago, but I preached through the entire Gospel of Luke. Luke is an amazing historian. He, is, he just has this bent under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for details. And he wants us to know this is the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And this is, it's a side note, but kind of interesting. At this time, it was believed that the tribe of Asher was one of the lost tribes of Israel but evidently not so lost that they did have this representative. Anna was from the tribe of Asher, and Luke knew that. And it says of her that she was advanced in years. It simply means she was older in age at this time. And in the context, it is very likely that she is in her early 80s at this time, and we'll see that in just a, a moment. But she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So evidently, Anna had gotten married and then lived with her husband for seven years and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, it's interesting, it was mentioned in every commentary that I happened to read for my preparation, but a reminder that at this particular time in history, girls married quite young. It was not unusual, and some of you have heard this before, for a young woman to get married at 14, 15, or 16 years old. And if 
Anna, or if, if that was true for Anna, then she was married for seven years and would have been a widow in her early 20s. And then she lived as a widow until she was 84. 84 is most likely how old she was when she died because she lived as a widow until she was 84. And she is most likely, again, it doesn't tell us clearly, but most likely near that point now. Remember, Simeon was an older man. God promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And he said, now you can let your servant depart. You can let me die because I've seen the Messiah. And it's very likely that Anna is in a very similar situation. She is this prophetess, respected, and she approaches the Christ child. But what is said about Anna at the end of verse 37, that, that last sentence is what's most important and it's remarkable, remarkable. It said, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, she became a widow probably in her early 20s. She was a widow until she was 84. We don't know for how long, but the thought here is probably for most of her adult life, she was at the temple probably because she was a prophetess, had a room there where she could stay and people could come to her for insights in the law of the Lord. But she worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. And the thought here is, is that she continually did this day after day. She would worship God with fasting and prayer one day after another day after another day. It is absolutely remarkable and it reminds us this was her ministry this was her ministry and we don't often think of fasting and prayer as a ministry but folks it is it is a very important ministry when we think of ministry we think of preaching and teaching we think of evangelism we think of people who minister to the poor or they minister to the, and go and visit the sick or they go and minister uh, to those who are imprisoned and all of those are very, very important ministries. But let us remember this morning that prayer is a very important ministry for God. I remember many years ago, I was listening to a sermon by R.C. Sproul, and he told the story of a retired missionary who was now, at the time of this sermon, was now in his mid to late 80s. He had been on the foreign mission field for years, preaching and teaching, but now he was at a point in his life where he was experiencing a number of illnesses. He was shut in and for the most part bedridden, but he wanted to continue to serve the Lord. And so R.C. Sproul said that this man decided that his ministry was going to be prayer. And so he decided he was going to dedicate eight hours every day to prayer eight hours every day to prayer. And R.C. Sproul said that this man became so well-known that people from all over would send him prayer requests because word got out, if you want somebody to pray for you, let this man pray for you because he really knows how to pray. But let me encourage you this morning, you don't have to be in your 80s with an illness to have the ministry of prayer. You can be any age 
Let us never minimize the importance of the power of prayer. We know it is throughout the scriptures. We think of that last sentence, that famous last sentence of James chapter 5 and verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And in this passage, we could say the prayer of a righteous woman is powerful and effective. We think of the famous King James rendering, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fasting and prayer has played a very key role in all of Scripture. In Acts chapter 14, it tells of Paul and Barnabas that after they had made disciples in all kinds of towns, they went back to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. And they appointed elders in these places where they had been. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Oh, they were going to be elders, shepherds. They were going to pastor the people, and it was going to be such a weight of burden that they committed them to the Lord with fasting and prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, word comes to Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down and the gates of the walls have been burned to the ground. And he is just stricken in his soul. And in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That word continued means for days and days and days before, and isn't that interesting, before he did anything, before he took any action, he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Folks, that's the kind of person Anna was. She was a woman of singular devotion to the Lord who had committed her life to every day worshiping the Lord through prayer and fasting. Well, like Simeon, Anna was part of a faithful remnant of Jewish people who were longing and waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And in verse 38, it says, And coming up at that very hour, and this is what I alluded to, important phrase, and coming up at that very hour, the very hour, the very time that Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, at that very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, of Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She did two things that are so instructive for us. She walks right up to the baby Jesus and she gave thanks to God. She praised him because she, like Simeon, had seen the Messiah. She knew it. She was a prophetess. It says the spirit of the Lord was upon Simeon and it says of Anna that she was a prophetess. She had this insight from God. This is him. The one I have waited all these years for the one I have longed for, the one we have waited for. 
And then she says that. So she praises God, and then she proclaims the wonder and glory of this child, the wonder and glory of Jesus, and speaks of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Remember what it said of Simeon? It said he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting along with that faithful remnant for Israel to be consoled in their mourning, in their anguish, waiting longing for Messiah to come, waiting for their souls to be consoled. And here, Anna speaks to that same group. It's the same group of people, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, waiting for Jerusalem's true salvation, waiting for the Savior to come. And it is another reminder this morning, yes, there were those Jewish people who were looking for a false messiah, a political messiah, who would come and conquer the Romans under whose oppression they were living. But oh, at that same time, there was this group of men and women who were so faithful. We should pray, God, let us be like them. Let us be like them. They were waiting and waiting and waiting Remember, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 silent years where Israel never heard any prophecy or word from the Lord. And now we come to this time and everything is changing. Messiah has come into the world. Everything they had waited for is now starting to come to fulfillment and Anna recognizes it and she proclaims it. Well, our second point this morning is the humanity of Jesus. The last two verses of this passage give us some important insights into the humanity of Jesus. In verse 39, it says, And when they, and this is a reference to Mary and Joseph, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. You gotta love that statement. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. If you remember last week when we looked at the passage about Simeon, it started off by describing Mary and Joseph and their newborn son coming to the temple. And it says, when they came for the rite of purification, they did everything according to the law of Moses. When they dedicated Jesus, um, it said they did what was written in the law of the Lord. When they offered their sacrifice, they did what is said in the law of the Lord. Everything was done meticulously according to the law of the Lord. And then it says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. God in his sovereignty causes Jesus to be born to this poor, humble, but very devout young couple. And they love the Lord with all their hearts. And they do everything that is written in the law of the Lord in the law of Moses. And notice it says they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the implication is as they went to Galilee and as they went to Nazareth, they just kept on doing everything according to the law of the Lord. 
They kept living for God, and they raised their child according to all the commandments and all the statutes and all the precepts of the law of the Lord. And we marvel every Christmas season at the devotion of Mary and Joseph. And then in verse 40, it says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is a very interesting, very intriguing insight into the humanity of Jesus. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, the great emphasis is on the deity of Jesus. But the New Testament also places emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. And as I have shared with you many times, Jesus is 100% deity, 100% humanity at the same time. Perfectly divine, 100% God, 100% human, both at the same time. It is a great mystery far beyond our comprehension, but nonetheless it is true. It is true. And if you were to do a study, a study on the doctrine or the Bible's systematic teaching of the humanity of Jesus, one of the verses you would be referred to is Luke 2.40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So let us remember that Jesus was perfect. Jesus was sinless, yet, yet, he grew. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. He grew intellectually. He grew emotionally because he was fully 100% human. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The thought is he increasingly was filled with wisdom. Now, how is that? He is perfect wisdom, and yet he grew in wisdom. We don't understand, but he did. In his divinity, he knew all things. In his humanity, he grew. And of course, the favor of God was upon him, always. We could say the favor of God was upon him from the time he was born, but the favor of God was upon him well before he was born. The favor of God was always upon him. So, folks, here's the scene. They go into the temple for the rite of purification, Mary and Joseph. They have circumcised Jesus at the temple. They offer the sacrifices commanded in the law of Moses. They dedicate their firstborn male son in a special way to the Lord. Up comes Simeon. Up comes Anna. And then they go off to Galilee, to Nazareth to raise this son, Jesus. As we close this morning, I want us to think again about Anna because that last sentence of verse 37 and then what is said in verse 38 are in a sense unique. Here is this woman who dedicated her life 
to fasting and prayer every day every day this this was her ministry it was her life and when messiah comes she recognizes him immediately she was one of the few that did she was one of the few that did she recognized him right away and anna reminds all of us that jesus brings great hope into a broken world of sin and darkness we do Yes, there are many blessings in this world, but we live in a broken world, a broken world of sin and darkness. And Anna reminds us that there is great hope in the midst of that and beyond this world. And Anna gives us this wonderful pattern for our lives, especially when we are going through hard times. She comes to Jesus, she praises God, and she tells others how wonderful he is. Isn't that a great thought? What a great way to live life. She comes to Jesus, she praises God, and she tells others how wonderful and glorious her Savior is. And we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. I was thinking, what do we tell people about Jesus? And usually the answer is, where do we start? He is so wonderful, so glorious. Where do we begin to tell people how great Jesus is? And one of the things that entered my mind, simply because I've been preaching through the Gospel of John, is those seven great I am statements. That there are many other ways to praise Jesus, but if you want a guideline for how to praise him, just learn those seven great I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is the only true nourishment and satisfaction for our souls. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is the light of salvation that has come into this dark world. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. No one can enter the sheepfold of God unless they come through the gate, unless they come through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Oh, we need a good shepherd. Someone who guides us and leads us with gentleness, with tenderness, and with great care, knowing every one of us, every one of his sheep intimately, he guides us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, we will one day be raised from the dead. We have eternal, everlasting life because of Jesus. But not, he is not only the giver of our resurrection and of our everlasting life. He is our resurrection. He is our resurrection. He is our everlasting, eternal life. He said, I am the way and the truth, and the life. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth. I am true truth, and I am the life. I am the very life of God come into this world. And he says, I am the true vine. If we are to grow in our Christian life, if we are to bear fruit in the Christian life, we must, we must abide every day in the true vine. And I think Simeon and Anna would add one more I am. They would say, I am the hope of the world. 
that Jesus is the hope of the world, and I come back the end to the very place I began. And that is, if you are hurting, if Christmas is especially hard this year, and really for all of us, no matter what we are going through, there is great hope. He gives us great hope in this life, and great hope, oh, praise God, great hope beyond the grave. And I think if there is a Christmas, if, 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 if Simeon and Anna were alive today, and if there was a Christmas carol that they would have us sing, it would be, O come all ye faithful. Because that's who they ministered among, the faithful of the Lord. And they would say, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Come, let us adore him. Oh, that's what they'd say. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the Lord, Messiah, the Lord, the great hope of the world. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you. Thank you for teaching us about the faithful ministry of Anna, a faithful ministry of prayer and fasting. She reminds all of us that there is great hope right now because of Jesus. Father, this Christmas season, help us to look upon the child of Bethlehem and to find our hope our strength, and our peace in him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.